There are a million ways to make money in the food service industry. You just have to find one. On the Titans of Food Service podcast, I interview real life movers and shakers in the food game who cut through all the noise to get to the top. My name is Nick Portillo and welcome to the Titans of Food Service podcast. Let's jump right into it. Welcome back to the Titans of Food Service podcast. As always, thank you so much for joining me here on another episode. I really appreciate it. If you could take a moment and you're enjoying the podcast, please leave a five-star review. Wherever you get your podcast, that would truly mean a lot to me and go a long way. Today, I've got an incredible episode set up for you. I speak with Kern Halls, who is the co-founder and chief innovator at Ingenious Culinary Concepts. We talk about Kern's journey in the food service industry and in present day, owning his own company, working in the school food service sector, helping schools do cafeteria refreshes, uh, increase their revenue. I think it's gonna be something that resonates with a lot of the people listening along. So without further ado, let's go ahead and welcome Kern. Kern, welcome to the Titans of Food Service podcast. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you for taking time out of your day and out of your week to meet with me. Thank you, Nick, for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Of course. So what I usually like to do with all of my guests is kind of build a little bit of a background. So how did you get into the food service industry? Uh, it's so funny. So I got into the food service industry literally when I was five years old. So I remember um, as a child, uh, my, my mom had uh, three three sons and she said, never depend on anybody to cook for you. So I can remember her and my aunt in the kitchen, stand on the chair, learn how to cook when I since I've been five years old. And that kind of just translated into my career. Uh, when I, I left high school, went to military as culinary specialist. Um, I did that for eight and a half years, and then I transitioned from the uh, military to work for large entertainment company, Walt Disney World, here in Orlando, Florida. Um, and then from there, I went into uh, working for in school food service. Um, so I spent the last uh, I worked in school food service from 2005 to 2013, and then started my company, Genius Color Concepts. All right. Going back to your time in the military, what was that experience like working on the culinary side? Yeah, in the culinary side, it was, um, it's every, uh, it's best way to put it is just like definitely is trying to build a plane while it's flying, right? So we're going out to sea. My first ship, I was stationed in Norfolk, Virginia. We have 3,500 people on the ship and we go on deployment. We have to get food onto the ship to feed everybody. So you're literally in the middle of the ocean and you're getting fuel, helicopters are bringing the mail, bringing food. You, you know, it's just a, a whole balance and it's organized chaos to get all those things going. But it just taught me a lot to re- really to honor from the food service side, just be able to just work with what you have and get things done and really have a service as well. Because we're on deployment, you have to make your fellow, you know, f- sailors and Marines, everyone else happy while they're on deployment. So you learn a lot about customer service and cooking at the same time. That is awesome. Did you get to travel around the whole world? I met the whole world. So I was stationed on the East Coast. So I did Mediterranean cruises. So I was doing a lot in Europe, North Africa, things like that. So that was uh, my part that was on. What was the the dining experience like on, on a ship? Is it like a set menu or is it a cafeteria style? How does that look? Yeah, so um, it's it's different. So you have you know you have more enlisted members, but they dine at majority of the crew members. Then you have 
we call it like the Chiefs. Um, they're, they're like, uh, you know, pretty different kind of pay grade. They eat a one and they have officers. So it's like three dying tiers. And so it's basically people are lined up, ready to go when you're in a large number ship that um, to ready to eat in a cafeteria style where everything's basically was made from scratch uh, when I was in. Um, some of it's kind of speed scratch now. And the, uh, the individuals come in and they eat and they, you know, have regular breakfast, lunch, dinner. And we have mid rash the people over my crew, they have the mid rash where they come to eat at night time so it's just a whole different dining experience and just dynamics and it was just really good and then we have a cycle menu that you follow and with that cycle menu we have to worry about budgets all those different things because you get your funding of course from the federal government so we have to stay within our numbers make sure you're good to go and and, you know it's just something that it's a balancing act so my job was to make sure the menu was planned and make sure that we hit those numbers every single month nice it were you ever visited by a president in your time um, on my ship, we had a lot of dignitaries when we were overseas. Um, okay. so it was, it was, it was something that was great later on in my life, my career. And, um, I actually, um, hosted a uh, first lady for dinner at my house. So that was, you know, something that was phenomenal that I got a chance to go to the white house and meet the president. So that was later on in my career. Wow. And how did that come to be? So I was working at school in school food service at that time. So, which is a whole different segment I didn't know anything about. So I know we talked a little bit earlier. It was actually with food brokers. I, I dealt a lot with food brokers. And um, at that yeah. time, um, the first lady, Michelle Obama, was doing her um, second anniversary of Let's Move campaign. And they were looking for families that made changes to their diets. At that time, I worked in school district. My wife was the educator. And we made a lot of changes to our diet. And they chose our family. And um, at first we thought we were getting, um, dinner was going to be prepared for us by the white house chef. And it turned out at the last minute, they, um, it was all kind of like, you know, set it up. They want to, you know, release, release any inf- uh, classified information. They said, they called me one day and they said, Hey, no, you're going to cook dinner for the first lady. And I'm like, what? And so, <laughs> just, uh, <laughs> so it was just something in general, this that I'll never forget. It was just a great opportunity to do it. It's the first time that it has been done by, um, a sitting um, first lady or president of the United States. So it was, it was, it was awesome. That is way cool. And there's only a, a, a finite, a finite amount of people who can say that you've even, even met a first lady. So that is, and let alone come into your own home. Yes, yes, definitely. It was a definitely experience we'll never forget. Yeah. The only experience I have with the first lady is one time, it was in 2015 and the 2016 election was, getting up and running and I had I had gone to a hotel here in Orange County to make a sales presentation show the you know the culinary team some food and some items and as I was walking in I noticed a lot of men in uh, suits like full-blown suits like all over the place and uh, I, I get in and I and I talked to the uh, the food and beverage director and he's like how did Nick how did you get in here I was like, oh, I, I don't know. And uh, yeah. just walked in. He goes, he didn't see all the guys in the suits and stuff. I was like, <laughs> I guess I did. And it was, uh, yeah. it was a Hillary Clinton event, which was pretty cool. So I, wow. I was able to sneak in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're awesome. Yeah. Secret Service guys were really cool. They were really nice guys and um, had a good time. Gals and girls. Yeah. Guys. Yeah. So as you came out of the military, you went to Disney. What was that like? And what was your, your roles and responsibilities there? Yeah, so leaving out the military, went to Walt Disney World. Um, I went from working in the back of the house and as culinary specialist in the military to the front of the house. So I wanted to do something different. So I went to the front of the house management. Um, it was different. And Disney, Walt Disney World has some of the busiest restaurants. Our restaurant 
The first one I went to did about $18 million a year. Um, the second one did around the same numbers. And it was a wow. different experience because, um, you know, just working the Magic Kingdom itself is just, it's during the summertime, it's just, it's pumping. It's just, you know, 60, 70,000 people in the park every single day. And so we have this window of time that we have to feed all our guests. And so our role is with make sure our guests are, are satisfied is that they want to get them into, let them eat and back in the park so they can enjoy themselves. And just trying to get those, uh, you know, our goal was we had eight registers and we had to feed. Our goal for each cashier was to do 100 transactions every hour. So we're trying to get them through the line as quickly as possible, let them eat and go back into the park. So we're just, just doing unbelievable numbers and just getting those things going. So it was an experience that I was kind of used to because I was on a ship that had 4,000 people on it. And then coming there, I went to a smaller ship that had 275, but then going back to 4,000, it was something that um, 60,000 people in the park was something that was um, I was used to. And I love the high volume and I love that excitement. So it gets, gets my blood flowing. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm sure your military experience definitely uh, prepared you for that. It, was there ever a, a big uh, obstacle that you had to overcome while working at Disney and handling that many people, it, it, or what, or maybe better yet, any big failure that you had? Yeah, so one of the things is that it's always making sure that the guests are, uh, are satisfied, right? So the challenge that you have it is try to figure out, okay, we have some good guests that are in here are, are doing some wrong things that might have an accident. Let's say they spill ketchup on their shirt versus a guest that are just, unfortunately, you have guests that just come over there to try to get over on the system. They say yeah, something happened and they want all their money back or they want <laughs> their meals for free and they want to comp your hotel. And it's trying to distinguish in, you know, what's right and what's wrong as far as your customers. Because, you know, people always say the customers are always right. Um, you, and I think you have to kind of take that with a grain of salt, literally, because you want to figure out and see what's really going on and trying to make those those guests happy at a certain time. But at the end of the day, um, Disney, as a, as a co-op, Disney World as a whole company, they just want to make sure that they're they're satisfied and we do a great job and we did a great job of doing that every single day. And I took a lot of the lessons I learned there into my next role working in school food service. So those are the only things I really had to overcome on a daily basis to make sure we hit our numbers and we got the guests were happy. Talk to me about your transition into school food service. Why into school food service? So why? So my my wife um, worked as an educator at the time, and one day I came home, and my son was literally in the cul-de-sac, um, standing next to his bike, and I was like, "Son, like, why aren't you riding your bike?" And he just looked at me so innocently. He said, "You never had the time to teach me how to ride a bike." And I felt like so bad as a dad that I was so worried about my career and not really spending time with the family. So my wife didn't tell me about uh, school food service. And I'm like, I had no what, what idea what school food service was. And so I did some homework and I went and saw the director at the time. And I said, you know, tell me a little bit about school food service and what it does. And um, it was just a whole different world that, you know, a lot of people don't know about. And um, I had to learn a lot about it. And I still was on the fence because I'm like, you know, I kind of like Disney, worked a lot of crazy hours. And I remember after leaving, talking to the director, she said, we work no nights, no weekends. I said, huh? She's like, we work no nights, no weekends. <laughs> I was like, I was like, so like, yeah, I'm, I was done deal. Right? <laughs> Sign me up. I, yeah. You know, because I'm coming straight from uh, high school. Like I've never had a Christmas, Thanksgiving, New Year's off. I've always just in food and beverage. You're always working. Wow. And especially yeah. at Walt Disney World. That's like the busiest time of the year where you you don't get yeah. two days off. You get only one day off during that during that time. You you work six days a week, 
And so um, working into school food service um, was something that I just like, it's like one of the best things I've ever done in my life. And it's just, I really enjoyed it and the satisfaction. It was a learning curve, but it was just another facet of food service I got into that um, I really enjoyed. I, I can feel your enthusiasm and, and passion for it. When you say school food service, I know in your career now, is it college universities and K-12? Is it just K-12? Is it a mixture? Yeah, so it's just K-12. And, you know, a lot of people don't understand. Okay. So you you have, um, you know, you have the school district, right? So let's just take Orange County Public Schools. And it could be California, Orlando. You have the school yeah. system itself. So I guess, of course, tax, it's funny to taxpayers. Then you have the school cafeterias. That's a separate enterprise within the school system that's federally funded. So the more breakfast, lunches, snacks they sell, um, it's just like a they run like business, just like a business um, that pays for the benefits, it pays for employees, it pays for you know the equipment, anything inside this have to do with the cafeteria. It's that's how they're funded. So my role working in school food service, I was in charge of twenty three high schools. Um, I call them franchises. Those units did anywhere. Um, you know, they really was uh, had it's like government talking and things like that but i tried like a retail um, retail industry right just like running any franchise on the streets so they did anywhere between revenue seven hundred eighty six thousand a year for a small school and you're thinking this is just 10 months to anywhere to wow. two million dollars to two million dollars in revenue so um it was high volume and the school district i worked for was the 10th largest school district in the nation and here i have 23 high schools but I also wrote the menus for the secondary, which is, is K through 12. But I wrote it from sixth grade to 12th grade. I was responsible for writing the menus for all that marketing, special projects. I had a catering team I implemented in the training team just to bring standardization and just really had a lot of firsts that we did. We launched the first um, school uh, food truck in K through 12 back in 2007. Um, we did a lot of food shows. We got a lot of brokers involved in the whole process and asking them to bring creative, innovative things that could possibly work on the K through 12 menu. So that was something that was really important to me when I first came is that I just didn't want to do chicken nuggets and sauce. Like, let's, let's see how we can get the menu going and have some creativity. So that was some of the exciting things I had a chance to do and just bring innovation to what we did. Yeah. And how long did you do that until you started your own company? So I did that from 2005 to 2013. Um, probably okay. around like we started, um, I started getting a lot of phone calls from manufacturers and just because we did a lot of um, creative things that we just wanted to do in schools, you know. So we had, you know, I started selling turkey legs, took that from Disney and just have, have them on there as an a la carte item. Um, just having a, a partner with a lot of different uh, retail companies and said, hey, can you make a version of this for um, K-12? And they said yes, because the, the volume is so massive that, you know, they wouldn't say no. So we worked with them all together to get all those things going. And in 2010, you know, I started getting a lot of calls from other school districts and also manufacturers saying, like, hey, can you help us out? And I was like, hmm, this is kind of a niche business. And I kind of looked around and like, who's doing this? And no one wasn't really, really doing it. So we started a company, Genius Color Concepts. Literally in 2006, we started off as a catering company. 2013, we made the switch just to K-12 only. My wife left the, her job as an educator in 2014. And we just support school districts across the nation. Mostly what we do, we go and we do what we call capacity building, just to kind of give an assessment of what the schools are doing. But mainly what we do now is we do a lot of cafeteria re refreshes. We take the old cafeterias, put new furniture inside of them, new graphics, um, server line equipment, things like that. We make sure that um, the school cafeteria looks like a retail establishment. 
when you do the, the cafeteria refresh, what are some of the areas or things with the, that you see in a cafeteria that's usually uh, needs improvement? Yeah, so some of the things that instantly we see need improvement is that you typically the walls are just because the district tries to save money sometimes. So they buy 20,000 containers of beige paint and they use that in every single school cafeteria, right? To save right. money or it's white walls. Um, so the schools itself and the classrooms are really pretty much 21st century technology wise, everything. And then you go to the cafeteria, I would say it looks like the Flintstones and the classrooms look like the Jetsons, right? And so yeah, for yes. us, we see the. <laughs> The furniture is a little bit older. Um, it's just not up-to-date seating. It's just 12-seater long tables where the students sit at. So we come in and we add booths. We add high tops. Um, we add graphic um, packages to the walls. Um, and we um, do different paint schemes inside of the schools just to brighten it up because the cafeteria is the one time that the students have a break from all their, their from the day. So they leave all their different classes and they come down and get a chance to woosaw, make plan for the plans for the evening or for the weekend, whatever it might be. And they get a chance just to hang out and woosaw. So we want to make sure that environment looks great. And typically when we go in and we redo a refresh, um, the, we call it participation, but the business revenue goes up by usually anywhere between 10 to 15, 20, usually 20%. Wow. I would imagine the the area once it's all, the cafeteria once it's all said and done, it's more inviting, it's more comfortable to be in, uh, and thus kids want to stay there longer and, and, and eat. Yeah, and so it gives the students a place to hang out. It's more of a time for them to sit down and eat. And then also, as a, another factor of this, is that sometimes a lot of schools, depending where you're at, they use the cafeteria as a place where the community usually comes in or there's some kind of professional development the principals are doing or the community does. So now that space is more inviting. So now sometimes they ran out to different organizations, whether it be a church or some smaller towns, they do proms in there, they might have dances. And now, so it's a multi-purpose room that they can use it. And it's just, it looks great. And usually the whole school is just really happy with, uh, with the outcome after we get it, after get it done. Wow, that's, that's incredible. What has the experience been like owning your own business? Yeah, so on my own business, and I tell people, this is not for the faint of heart, right? So yeah. my wife and I, <laughs> we, we run our own business. Um, and the hardest thing for, for me, honestly, is just like clocking out. And for me, as you know, the, the, you know, I'm always thinking, trying to get stuff done. It's like never clocking out and really just always thinking about business. But um, I wouldn't change anything, you know. You know, I, I love it. I love doing it. And I just always like to see, okay, what's next? What's around the corner? So I'm always thinking about what's next and what can we do? Where, um, thankfully, we're in a stage right now. We're in a growth stage uh, right now. So we're hiring some uh, some people right now. We should have another probably two or three people on board um, by the end of the year um, and because we're just having a lot of growth right now. So it's something that's really um, is fun, exciting, kind of scary at times, but you want to make sure that you just keep on going and having a great time doing it. Yeah, of course. My dad and I, we started our food service brokerage company back in 2015. And I like to say that it, it took us probably until about 2020 COVID times. He had, a, he had had experience as a food broker working for a prior company for the majority of his career. But I feel like in those five, first five years, we didn't know what we were doing. And then COVID hits. And then out of nowhere, we're like, I feel like we're starting to become entrepreneurs and we're starting to like figure <laughs> this out and think differently. And the job became, uh, it's, it was always been very fun, but we started to, to build momentum and scale out our business. What has the dynamic been working with your wife? 
so working my wife is it's been fun, right? So you have a, a partner that you that that you can trust. You can you don't have to worry about certain things. And my wife is the totally opposite of me. Like uh, she's an introvert, I'm an extrovert. So I handle yes. sales, going out there talking to clients. She is a bean counter, so she gets all the small detail stuff that I do not do. So it works out of balance for us. At first, it was kind of different, unique because we had to get on the same page. But now, overall, you know, it's it's. I trust her to run everything. And with us under the Genius Color Concepts, our company, we have d- different divisions. So um, during the pandemic, we had to pivot a little bit, right? So we got a call from a school district saying we need help feeding some of the students because they couldn't handle the volume. So we we're feeding a thousand students a day meals to send home packaging and send them home during the pandemic and send those meals home. And then, um, <laughs> right before I remember we just signed a contract in January of 2020 with the Orlando Magic, um, the well, Levy restaurants. They run the, the arena down here. Um, January, we signed the contract, 10 year contract to operate concessions in there. And then March hit. Everything shut down, right? So, yeah. um, you know, we have like 30, 25, 30 employees there, but it was great. So I said, look, I said, it just started. So we just have to wait it out, see what's happening. So we, we have that concession business that we run. And then, um, we just opened up in 2023, January. We won a contract in the airport here in Orlando, Florida, where my partners and I out of Atlanta, Florida, uh, Atlanta, Florida, Atlanta, Georgia, um, we bid a successfully bid and opened a Chick-fil-A in the airport and new terminal. So we kind of have those three divisions of our business that we do. So it's been, um, it's just been nice really doing that and just working all those different facets of the business to get those things going. You're growing quickly. I love that. I love that. <laughs> yes, 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 it's different. How did you get into, how did you, where did Chick-fil-A come about? <laughs> so <laughs> funny, funny thing, right? So I always wanted to, diver- to diversify, right? And not just have all my eggs in one basket. And um, yeah. so I, one of my friends, uh, one of my good friends, he um, won a contract with the airport some years ago. And I'm like, airport? Like, what is that? I know there's food in various locations, but I didn't know anything about it. So he sat down and explained to me about it. So I started going to a lot of meetings across the country. And I met this gentleman in Washington, D.C. who just happened to meet and just talk. And I said, look... We're going to do something one day as a small business, a small business, because they have the, of course, the thousand bond gorillas that run a lot of the contracts inside of the uh, airports mm-hmm. around the country. And um, they're always looking for smaller partners that are supposed to be on the contract. And I said, like, hey, we can do this ourselves. So he happened to be working with Chick-fil-A, just having conversations with them for literally two years. And the opportunity came when it came up in Orlando for one location. And I said, hey, let's go after it. And he said, well, I, I just, Chick-fil-A just approved us to be a licensee. So I said, let's go after it. And we went after it um, and we won it. So that's uh, NBC Concessions in uh, in Atlanta, uh, Georgia, uh, Connect Hospitality, my friend LaMonica, Justin, and ourselves, we ran it, we, um, we won it. And it's just been a, a great opportunity. And, you know, it, it's just been something that's been um, going so well for us and just staying really busy. I, I'm sure. Are you going to, do you plan to open up more in the future? So as opportunities come up um, in the airport space, because they call that, um, I'm not, uh, we are not approved to do anything on the street side locations, but we're on the airports, we have approvals for, and they call it the non-traditional market. So, we, you know, as things come up, we just give them a phone call and say, hey, we want to go after this opportunity. And they tell us, yes, you know, we go after it or no, and we just keep on going. So we just, we're good, we're great partners. We communicate great, great with them. Um, the whole Kathy to the family just has just been, um, just been awesome. 
So they've been um, just great. And if you've ever never been to Next, their conference is called Next. I've been to two so far, and I've never been to a conference like that in my whole entire life. It's just unbelievable. I'm curious because you've built something great here. And to everybody listening out there, what is it in you that have you've definitely taken a risk and you've invested in yourself and believed in yourself? Was there people along the way that helped you get to where you are today? Or how did you get that that mindset that you can go out and achieve whatever you want to achieve? Yeah. So so for me, I come from the family of entrepreneurs, right? My parents were immigrants from Trinidad and Tobago, moved to the Virgin Islands where I was I was born, with me and my younger brother born in the Virgin Islands, then moved to Florida. And I just, you know, for me myself, I just wanted something different in life and I wanted to try some things. I've been fortunate to um I always try to talk to people that have done it before. So you don't need to tell me the stove is hot. If you tell me it's hot, I believe you. I'm not going to touch it. Right. So I've had good mentors that tell me to do certain things. And then I take calculated risk and we go after it and, and just make those opportunities just, you know, work out as well as best as you can. They're not all going to work out, but at least I just never want to be look back in my life that I should have, could have, would have, and never tried anything. So I go after, I go after the opportunities. I talk to my wife. I talk to my mentors, you know, and just try to see exactly what makes sense. And then we go after those opportunities. And if it's, if it's something that's good, you know, that we, we go after it. I, I was looking through your website and the content you have online. And I was thinking, I was like, you know what? There's a million ways to make money in, in the world and it, even in, in food. And you've been able to find this niche that it, it just works really well. What was it specifically about wanting to help uh, schools, especially with their design? Why choose that and not, not on the culinary side? Yeah, so I did a little bit of the culinary side when I first started the business, and I'm um, just like, okay. okay, we go out there, we, we helped with menu development and getting those things going. Um, I just saw this niche in school food service that there was just an underserved market that could be can really need some assistance and can need some help because. It's a lot of stuff goes on in school food service, a lot of government regulations and things like that. And I just wanted to see, like, how can I make an impact? Um, the culinary side, it was something that was great. I've helped manufacturers develop food items and that um, have worked in school food service and have been successful. One company um, has went literally worldwide in um, not just schools, but also military bases. But I found that niche. I love doing the cafeteria redesigns. There's something that can go in. I can see the transformation and it gets done, um, you know, in a pretty timely manner for getting all those and getting it done in a timely manner. When you're looking at someone's cafeteria or operations or dining facilities, what are some of the elements that you consider, especially on the design side of how you're going to get it all set up? Yeah. So when I do the intake, so the designer, I'm not a designer by trade. So I just make suggestions, right? I'm an operations person. So I look at the operations. How, what does the flow look like? What can really be used here? So there's little things that we look at. Like I wouldn't put a, uh, a set of, let's say, booths. I don't want really to do that at an elementary school, but I would do that at middle school and high school. So our premise is when we do design is that we treat elementary students like middle school, middle school like high school, and high school like college students. So we want to get them ready for the next level. So when that transition takes place, it's not a culture shock. But we would do is little things like little surprises, like on elementary school, we might put two booths in there. And then the principal might say, like, this is a special table for the students that got straight A's or perfect attendance. They get a chance to, to eat there. And that's that specialty area they get a chance to do that at. So 
it's we look at the different designs and just see like what works. And then we also support them saying that, you know what, you have a lot of students in this cafeteria. And I give you a prime example. When I worked in the schools, I had a school that had 2,500 students and they had a 35 minute lunch shift and only four lines and mathematically just couldn't work. And so what we did is that we got point of sales. We got different carts and literally put the carts all around the school. And we had 13 carts hired three hour people one hour before an hour during and an hour after lunch. And boom, just like that, their sales just skyrocketed through the roof. The students were fed and they got back to, to their classes and it was just something that worked real well. So we just look at all of the, all the elements that, that taste goes into place, even from the materials that go in the wall. We're not going to put some materials are just heavy duty. It can be hard PVC. So you're not going to pick at it. You're not going to peel it down. It's literally going to be up there for, you know, 15, 20 years before we start having any issues. So. Do you see a, a role for technology in what you're doing and what you're building? Uh, definitely. So, you know, when we build everything out, they build it out. After they get built out, they build out in the CAD. Um, we're, we're looking at different programs right now to see how we can um, get, get it, make it more, I guess, I guess, functional for us. So we're looking at some equipment right now that literally you can take an iPad or iPhone and scan the whole room and measure the room. So we have a camera we use right now, but I have to move it every six feet and take a picture. But I've seen some things now that you just literally take an iPad and scan the whole room and it gives you all the measurements. It spits it out into CAD and you're, you're done. And all designers need to do is pop stuff on the wall, has their measurements and everything. It's just technology is just growing so fast. So we can go from carrying a camera around to carrying our phone and we're done. <laughs> That's, uh, isn't that crazy? I mean, there's, so just, crazy. <laughs> there's just, there's just on the technology side, I, I try to use technology as much as I can, but the people that invent this stuff, I'm like, where did you even come up with this idea, this concept? <laughs> I don't know how they do it. Yeah. Could you share maybe some examples of some of the projects that you've worked on in the past? Yeah. So uh, in the past, uh, you know, we're on a great project that um, uh, one was Oklahoma City. Uh, uh, that was like one of our huge first huge uh, contracts that we won. There's two high schools out there in Oklahoma City. Um, and we got a chance to, again, from an operations standpoint, we worked with some contractors. They only had two serving lines. So it was only two lines, 1,500 students to eat one lunch shift. So we suggested like, hey, once you make five serving lines and then we'll knock some walls out in the cafeteria and create some more space for them. They listened. They did it. The amount of business went up by 25% in the first week without even changing the menu. Um, got more students eating, therefore gener- generating more revenue for the school food service project, um, school, school food service department. Um, the other school went up like 15% for breakfast, another 20% for lunch. Um, the schools were phenomenal. Um, it got a lot of media coverage from a lot of the people because the school was built in 1940. And um, it was just an old school. And we went in and make it look like it was a brand new school. And those were just fun. And so we work on projects all across the country. Right now, we're working in Atlanta, Georgia. We have 16 schools we're doing over there right now. Um, and just as uh, while it's summertime right now is the best time for us. So we're just in there knocking them out, the paint, graphics, the whole nine yards. Then the furniture comes in and the last, we'll take pictures and we'll post them on our, you know, would it be all our social media platforms on our website, LinkedIn and those things like that, you know, so it's uh it's just fun doing the projects because how our projects start is we talk to the students. So we do a lot of focus groups and we said like, Hey, what do you, what do you think would look great in here? Here are some some suggestions and they kind of pick and choose. We bring it back to them and the principal and we say, okay, you like this? And they say, yes. And 
pretty much from a lot of the student feedback we get, they love it and they take ownership in it. We had a one project uh, in Georgia. It was a senior area and it's probably about a 50 by 50 area before we moved in underclassmen were in there as a high school, they didn't really care. And after we did it, there was like this guard there, like when, or when a senior would stand there during lunch and said like, hey, you're in ninth or 10th grade, you're not coming in here, this is only for seniors, you know, and not let them in. So they took a lot of pride in it. So a lot of our designs incorporate a lot of school spirit. So it's uh, kind of evergreen. And then we put a little bit of nutrition messages in there as well. So it's just a, a fun projects that we work on to get those things going. And how long does a project usually take from start to finish? Yeah, so start to finish, uh, by the time we take pictures, um, you know, we go in one day, we take the pictures, we upload them to the designers. The designers usually will have it done probably two weeks at most. And that's when the back and forth to start happens between ourselves and whoever our point of contact is. Um, once they approve it, and from the time we get a purchase order, the furniture is usually ready within probably 12 to 14 weeks. If it's a longer time period, it might be 16 or 17. Um, the graphics part of it is pretty quicker. It's quicker, so we probably can get that graphics, paint graphics on the wall, probably less than four weeks. So those listening to this and who may be interested in reaching out and working with you, probably the end of the year, end of the calendar year, in order to get something up and going by next summer, maybe might be a good starting point for someone wanting to work with you. Yeah, so here's the thing that's we're different than a lot of people. We, uh, we're doing a lot of summer projects right now, but what we've done is that we literally can come in on Friday on our last lunch shift. We've just kind of mastered the way that we use our time. So you can be in school session in, I don't know, let's call it September. We'll come in on the last your last lunch shift on, it could be a Wednesday, and we've done this a lot of times. Once the last lunch shift gets done, let's say at 12 o'clock, we're taking, you know, the old, the old furniture cleared out the cafeteria. We can bring new furniture in and literally two and a half hours, we put all the new furniture in. Now the paint, of course, that would be take us a couple of days, a couple of nights to do the paint because we have to set up, break it down because students are in there. Or we just take a weekend and say, hey, let us in on Friday. By Sunday, it's, it's painted. And then next Friday, you know, it takes about a week or two to cure. Then boom, the next weekend we put the graphics in in a one day, a Saturday morning we start. And um, it's done by afternoon. Matter of fact, just last Saturday, our designers, our installers went in and started at seven o'clock in the morning. And by five, they were done with the whole school install installation. Wow. I mean, just what you're doing is just it, it, it's it's incredible. And I just have to commend you on what you've been able to accomplish. What do you hope to achieve in the future? So for us in the future, what it looks like, of course, we want to build out the team, number one, so we can be able to service more of our clients and, um, you know, and grow. You know, we're concentrated in the Southeast a lot, but we do a lot of things in the Midwest as well. But we want to grow out and service our clients more and just be able to make more of an impact in some of the schools out here. Um, and then diversify again. We're looking that, you know, we're looking for more opportunities in, um, in the airports, especially here in our hometown of Orlando. We hope to grow into getting three, four more locations um, in the airports and just diversifying and kind of going from there. So it's been real fun um, just getting it all done and seeing the students' faces before and after and our clients' faces before and after, the superintendents, everyone's is happy once we come in and we have that service you know it was one thing we pride ourselves on is that we have that white glove service like we're not gonna you know just you know sign you up and we're gone we walk you through the whole process we're gonna be in communication with you make sure you're feel okay and take with you all the way to the end and then after that we check on check on you you know two months later three months later make sure everything's good to go sure and what about new builds do you ever work with new 
schools being built uh, or is it really working with pre-existing schools and building them up for optimal performance? So we asked that question. It's a great, great question because that's our, um, one of our things that that's on our bucket list that we want to do. We want to start working with designers from the, the onset because sometimes they build a new school and it's not really designed. It's just they put tables in and that's it. So we're working right now with some of the architect firms and construction companies to say, can we handle this part for you? Let's go ahead and make sure we can decorate the cafeteria, the equipment, get all that stuff going up front so we don't have to come back and do it later on. So um, that is something that we're very working hard, very hard. So any architects out there that need some assistance, uh, we'll be glad to help. <laughs> I love that. When you go to the, the school, do you work with the school district and that's kind of your uh, foot in the door? Or is it do you go to the direct, directly to the schools? So I work with a school food service, school food service side. So I don't, I, I okay. don't usually talk to the superintendents on the school side. And so a yep. lot of them see me because I also, I speak at a lot of conferences. I spoke for a national conference for the last 15 years. So they'll see me, they'll reach out to us and say like, Hey, you've been working this business. You understand what we go through. So can you come consult with me or help me out with doing my cafeteria remodel? And that, and that's how typically we start the relationship. And then we make that visit. We see what's going on and we and work with them. And we work with a lot of budgets. So budgets of any size. And so a lot of people think that, oh, I need to have, you know, multiple six figures to get a cafeteria refresh. And you don't. It, it can start off really small. It's just having an accent wall done. It makes a big difference in a cafeteria. Definitely. Definitely. I'm trying to think back to when I was in school, what the cafeterias look like. And I, from what I can remember, I think they could have benefited from you uh, for sure. Yeah, definitely. They're definitely different. Um, you know, um, even when I worked in school district, they're different, different. Um, I didn't know, have the knowledge that I have now about doing full makeovers. And now that I've got a chance to work with different manufacturers, go to different conferences and just learn a lot. It's just something that um, has really helped us a lot. Sure. How far west have you got? Have you gone? Arizona, Arizona, Arizona. Wow. Okay, that, that's part of our Arizona. reach. <laughs> that is quite. And well, I, I say Arizona, and I have I have a call in. Matter of fact, my calendar tomorrow. I have a conference call with somebody in Idaho. So, <laughs> oh wow, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. But we'll we'll touch it. But we also work in U.S. territories. So I was doing a lot of consulting work. Um, I worked with a lot of food brokers um, doing work in the U.S. territory. So did a lot of work in the U.S. Virgin Islands and they didn't have access um, to a lot of the food brokers and a lot of people didn't know about them, of course. So it was hard to say like, hey, Nick, can you go call on St. Croix for me? And they're like, hold on, is that vacation or are you going to work? You know, so um, but they have their K through 12 food service program that's under, you know, U.S. territories and um, they they uh, they get food as well. If you had a, a big giant utopian goal um, or vision that you want to achieve for yourself and for your company, what would that be? Um, the big goal, and um, I listened to one of your podcasts, and, um, and I, it would be definitely, I think it was um, Island Finn, is that it? Yeah, Island Finn, Poke Company, yeah. Poke Company, yeah, because I, I was listening to them in, um, you know, in the Florida area. Um, it's like basically kind of like almost that using that franchise type model, but, but also just, it's not so much franchising, but having those models across the country. So I would love to see an ICC East, ICC Midwest, you know, West coast only. And just, you know, and that, that way they can service the client and have a branch in those different markets and just kind of plan them. So, and my, my goal is to have just the USDA has seven regions and I would love to have our company in seven of those regions and just be able to service the clients in those areas. So that would be my, 
dream and just kind of figure out how to execute it and get it all going. Yeah, I like the franchisee business model. I, I specifically like the structure around systems and processes, whether, you know, in the case of Island Finn, if you're in Florida or Tennessee, you know, it's the look and feel and the way the customer is served and, and just everything from top to bottom is the exact same anywhere you go. I really like that. For my business, we are uh, we break up North California, Northern Cal, Southern Cal. We're also Nevada and Hawaii. And so standard operating procedures, we built them out through a system on a website called Notion. And so it's got everything from our employee handbook to how we, I mean, everything from how to tie your shoes to close the sale. We, we have it all <laughs> in there uh, awesome. to help out our team. And it, it's been a, a big catalyst for our company. That is awesome. Yeah. And that's where the keys though that we're working on too, is just working some of those infrastructures. Cause again, it was just myself, my wife. So now we're working on a lot of those infrastructures um, to try to get all those things going. So when we bring people on, it's just kind of like cut and paste, cut and paste, but you know, and just still service our clients. So that is, that is awesome. If you could go back in time, would you have done anything differently? Wow. You know, I, I get that question a lot. Um, and, and I, and I wouldn't do anything differently because I mean, some of the, you know, the ups and downs that I've had, you know, it's just worth, you know, figuring it out when, before I went to the military, I was a great baseball player. I was going to get drafted. Um, then I was was like, go to college first. And I said, I was going to go to college and I, and I decided to go to the military. I never forget December 1992. I was like, I signed up to go to the military and I had my parents had to sign me up because I was 17. And they're like, wait a second. Um, I never forget the guy from Cincinnati Reds saying like, what are you doing? Like, we just go to college. Well, we got you. Just get it all going. It's like, I'm not ready. I was like, I don't think I'm ready mentally. And it just took me at a 70 year old making a decision like that saying you're not ready. It just took a lot for me and, and my career through the military, working at Walt Disney World, not having those nights and weekends off and all those different things kind of built me for where I'm at now. So, it's great on one end because sometimes I, I look and say just like, yeah, I'm tough and I can get it all going. And sometimes when I hear people complain, I'm like, what do you complain about? Like, you know, be quiet, like just keep it going. Right. Because, and then that's my military side of me that says, suck it up because like being work going overseas and seeing certain things, you see what life can really, how really life really bad is. Like, you know, we have some pretty, you know, you know, some, some areas that are really bad in this country, but when you go overseas, you really see some really bad stuff and like, man, you know, you can't make it here. You can't make it anywhere. Like you can figure this stuff out. You know, you can, you can, you know, start a business from your phone, your iPad, <laughs> you have a laptop, you can be, you know, you can do whatever you want to do. I'm not saying everyone needs to be an entrepreneur, but I wouldn't change anything. And I would definitely I'd do the same thing all over again, a little smarter, <laughs> use a little more technology, but we'll definitely get it all going. If you go back to yourself as the baseball player, what advice would you give to you? Yeah, as the baseball player, um, I had a coach. I never forget him. His name was Coach Shaw. He was uh, he was brutal. It's like, <laughs> and I saw him. Be, it, and it's so funny, right? Because my sons played baseball, and he had a baseball camp. And my sons went to his baseball camp, and um, he was coaching high school here locally. And I went to one of his games. I'm like, why aren't you making the kids run? He's like, I only made you guys do it because you guys were knuckleheads. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> I was like, I, I, I used to tease him and say like, no, you're getting soft because you're getting old, you know? So we used to, yeah. you know, just kind of you know, mess with each other. But um, it, that was like really a lot of discipline that we did. And just, I was in the best shape of my life, you know, during that, doing that, during that time playing baseball. But um, it just taught me a lot of discipline and just a lot of work ethic. And 
it helped me out because the competitive side of me is like, I never like to lose, right? I don't care if I go out for RFP and we don't win. I'm like up like, why didn't we win? Like what happened? Because I got to learn from mistakes. We go back and go at it again and figure it out. My wife always tells me like, you're not going to win every RFP. I'm like, yeah, but I'm going to try to, <laughs> you know, yeah. we go out with the win, the attitude and try to do it. So we try to close every sale. We try, you know, we try our best to, to make everything happen, but realistically we can't but um you know we're always going to try so working with having the baseball discipline in my mind and just that coach just really taught me a lot about life and just pouring forth the best effort yeah totally my dad and i as part of our business we did a a disc assessment i don't know if you ever heard of disc before but it's essentially like uh it's a list of questions and very similar and yeah one of the results, the results that I got, it, I'm very, I'm a very results driven person. And it sounds like you, results are important to you as well. Whereas my dad, he's more uh, high enthusiasm, high support. So for him, the results aren't as important as, you know, making more of a team environment. And uh, so it's just kind of interesting to see how we're, how we're different and how we can work together. Yeah, definitely. And that's different for me and my wife. My wife would take her time and really go over and, an email that I would glance over in 15 seconds, she'll take two minutes to read, but she didn't get all the details and I might miss something, but I'm about <laughs> results. And, and I'm kind of like, in my old school ways, like I still have, instead of putting notes on my phone, I literally get an old piece of mail and I have an envelope and I write down my list of stuff to do. And I like seeing just checking it off my list and drawing a line through it when I have them working on my desk to get it all done or having a pad, you know, whatever, and just getting it all done. But um, that's where it is. And everyone has different, um, you know, different ways to go into it again to their end goal. And um, I've learned to, to really understand exactly how different people work together and uh, just get the same goals. So we have a lot of, you know, people that we 1099 and we work with all together to get things done. So, just really understanding and I have to learn myself to make sure I understand that everyone's going to not work at the same speed I'm going to. Um, but I have to, you know, have patience as, as a leader, just make sure that I just kind of take that all into account. And what is the best way for those who are listening and want to reach out? What's the best way to connect with you? So different um, ways to find me current halls on LinkedIn um, or okay. at social, social media. Um, we're at ingenious CC, I N G E N I O U S CC, like Charlie, Charlie. Um, that's all our handles. Or you can just literally uh, reach out to me via email, kern at ingenious CC.com. And then you have a website, ingeniouscc.com. Um, and then you can just hit the contact us on pay, um, page, send us a message, and we'll get back to you in less than 24 hours. Fantastic. Well, Kern, thank you so much for, again, taking time to share your story and being vulnerable and being open. And I really appreciate it. Uh, I enjoyed our conversation. And when I started this podcast, I didn't expect to uh, meet so many interesting uh, people and all of the different uh, jobs and businesses within the food service industry. It's really cool. And this has been really enlightening. So thank you. Thank you for having me. And I appreciate it. And if there's anything I can do for you or anyone else, um, I love helping people out. I think that's the key to our success is that we've always, no matter where we've been at, even if it's, it's for no money at all, we try to help people and lead them in the right direction. So just networking and get things going. So that's what we believe in. And if you ever need anything, just reach out and talk to us. We'll be good to go. Incredible. Thank you, Kern. Thank you. Thank you.